This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Conservative leader Pierre Polyev announced on Tuesday that if he becomes prime minister, his government would launch a multi-billion dollar lawsuit against big pharma companies for causing the opioid epidemic. A True North exclusive reveals that a large volume of Twitter accounts tweeting about Beijing's interference in Canada's election appear to exhibit bot-like behavior. And Calgary City Council has approved recommendations to limit drag queen story hour protests, citing an increase in, quote, transphobia and homophobia. Hello, Canada. It's Wednesday, March 15th, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Anthony Fury. And I'm Rachel Emanuel. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. Conservative leader Pierre Polyev says he will tackle the opioid crisis head-on if he becomes prime minister by taking aim at big pharma. On Tuesday, Polyev announced that his government, if he's elected, would launch a $44 billion lawsuit against big pharma companies for apparently causing the opioid crisis, in his words. The conservative leader says his lawsuit would target companies such as Purdue, seeking reparations for damages including impacts to border security, impacts on the criminal justice system, and reductions in tax revenue. Polyev spoke with reporters on Tuesday, and here's what he had to say. The Trudeau government has done nothing to hold these powerful pharmaceutical companies and their consultants, like McKinsey, accountable for what they have done, for the misery that they wreaked, and for the profit that they made doing all of this. A Polyev government will hold them accountable. I will launch a massive series of lawsuits amounting to over $40 billion in claims. We will join British Columbia's lawsuit uh, in order to recover the federal health costs that have resulted from Big Pharma's dirty and disgusting actions against our communities. We will launch a separate federal lawsuit to recover money that the federal government has had to spend on borders, indigenous programs, uh, policing, treatment, and other costs associated with this crisis. The people who profited from this misery should be the ones to pay the bill. It's about bringing home accountability. Polyev's announcement comes as the Trudeau government has recently approved British Columbia's request to decriminalize possession of small amounts of hard drugs. Rachel, this is quite something upping the ante yet again when it comes to dealing with the opioid crisis, because we have seen Premier Daniel Smith and Alberta do a lot of things to focus on treatment. We have seen the BC NDP government, yes, decriminalize drugs further, but they've also brought in similar treatment programs. Premier David Eby has talked about uh, involuntary treatment for people who have uh, suffered multiple overdoses. It's really interesting to see Polyev continue to push the envelope on this issue. I think the timing of it also is especially interesting. We saw similar lawsuits happen in the U.S., but those are dating back to 2017, 2018 now. So Polyev is coming at this issue a couple of years late, 
but I think it's very smart for him politically. And I think it will bode really well with his base because it sort of allows him to attack big pharma without bringing up the COVID-19 issues and without touching vaccines. Those are still very sensitive, very controversial issues, but issues that his base feels strongly about nonetheless. So this allows him to have a clear attack against big pharma without wading into some of the more controversial topics that could cause him to lose some of the more mainstream aspects of his base. And I appreciate the political analysis. I think you're right, Rachel. But I also think there's just a genuine, deeply human aspect here of of Polyev and others looking around what's going on in the streets of Vancouver. We see it in Ottawa's Bywood Market. I see it in Toronto's Moss Park. And people are saying, we got to do something about this. And the status quo direction on it just isn't right. We need to pivot. My question is, do you anticipate there can be a, a nonpartisan, bipartisan rallying behind all of this? Because I think it really should be something where we all come together on it. It would be nice to see. It's very infrequently that we do see a bipartisan issue in Canadian politics. Seems that nowadays everything is politicized. I'm interested to see how the Liberals respond to this proposal. I'm not sure if it will become a bipartisan issue, especially with the attacks against Polyev. I don't think they're looking to give him any leeway. I don't think they're looking to give him any credit. So I'd be surprised if they are able to rally around him on this issue. But, you know, stranger things have happened. A large volume of Twitter accounts tweeting about Beijing's interference in Canada's elections appear to exhibit fault-like behavior. Shu North analyzed and translated 1,128 unique tweets on Chinese-language social media, referencing the terms China and Canada, or Trudeau, which dated back to March 3, 2023. Of the 688 counts identified to be regularly engaging on the topic of election interference, 19.1%, or 132 accounts, showed classic indicators of being bots. The accounts in question sought to delegitimize media and intelligent reports, which indicate that China has campaigned to interfere in Canada's recent elections. Efforts included parroting Chinese state propaganda, directly attacking the credibility of the claims or downplaying their significance. As Cosme Zerja reports, this snapshot of data raises concerns about how China continues to manipulate social media discourse to influence opinions among the Chinese diaspora abroad. According to McDonald Laurier Institute Visiting Fellow and Japan Institute of International Affairs Researcher Yoko Kuwahara, while China bans the use of Western social media platforms at home, at the same time, it takes advantage of the capabilities of Twitter to disseminate propaganda on a large scale. You can read the full story exclusively at www.tnc.news. This is a huge story and a really great exclusive from True North. I think it's great that we took a look at all these Chinese language social media tweets very closely. Do you think that these are actually impactful when it comes to downplaying the influence of Chinese interference in Canada's election? Or do you think people see these accounts and they say, hmm, this account, you know, looks kind of strange, maybe doesn't have a lot of followers and they don't take it too seriously. They don't give it too much credibility. Well, that's a good question, Rachel. I think maybe people look at these accounts and go, this is not a prominent individual. I'm not sure I'm going to lend a lot of credence to this. But at the same time, if these hundreds of accounts are inserting themselves into the conversation, so they are posting replies to uh, big official accounts, government accounts, uh, news media reports, and they get themselves embedded in that, that thread of conversation there, well, people are still going to see it. And what they're saying, the sort of kernel of their argument will, I guess, plant into people's heads. They will be exposed at least to what they're saying. So I think there is some impact for sure. 
I definitely think for myself when I look through my responses, you know, I'm not always brave enough to do so, but on the odd time I take to do it, I, I generally look at all the all the tweets. I don't actually take the time to look into the accounts and see how credible they are. So it would likely impact me. I would think, oh, look, half the people feel this way about this issue. I wouldn't have expected that. Is there anything that can really be done to weed out these bot accounts? I feel like Elon Musk has made some effort to try to reduce the number of bots on Twitter, but obviously there is still a large number. And, you know, it's now impacting some serious political issues. A lot of people talk about Twitter as though it is the public square. And there is some truth to that argument, I would say. Do you think these bots are actually problematic or is it just sort of the nature of interacting with other people online and people need to be aware of it? Well, I guess if a real person creates a real account and then just starts tweeting Chinese propaganda, even if they're paid to do so by some uh, nefarious actor, how is that restricted? I don't know. They have rules and protocols around that. I know there are bot ratings that basically tell you, you add all of these algorithms together and the date of creation and how much they're posting, how they're posting, whether or not it's just this numbered account with no real pictures and no bio and stuff. I guess they can factor all that into it and just delete the account. I, I think the main thing as someone who's a free speech absolutist is I really push for buyer beware. I mean, people just need to uh, think twice about what they're seeing and learn to disregard things that go, well, this is just one, one voice. I mean, we've learned that a vocal minority uh, doesn't necessarily represent uh, widespread opinion, even if there's a tweet that has 20,000 likes or 50,000 likes, that seems like a lot, but uh, could just be, you know, one nut job in every small town. And somehow that contributes to making a false impression of a critical mass. I really like your comments on the buyer beware policy. And I think this story just sort of speaks to the need to how important it is to actually go out into real life and talk to people about issues that are on your mind and that are happening in Canadian politics and not always just fall back to discussing with people online where, you know, engagement and discourse is often not as civil or even really reflective of how people are in real life. No, for sure. I mean, when I would say I don't think children should be forced to wear masks anymore at a certain point during COVID and you have a thousand people uh, writing at you, you know, how dare you? This is an awful thing. How dare you suggest this? You have to keep in mind that there's 40 million people, uh, give or take, in this country. And I think most people are not on Twitter and most people are reasonable, rational folks. So you have to not get too bothered by the fact that there's a thousand people saying one you know, very aggressive thing, even though in the moment it looks like it's overpowering. After a lengthy city council meeting on Tuesday, Calgary Council approved two recommendations to limit drag queen story hour protests, citing an increase in transphobia and homophobia. Now, the new bylaw comes days after a Calgary pastor was arrested and charged for protesting a drag queen story hour at a public library and following another protest held after a trans woman allegedly exposed male genitals to a teenage girl at a public pool change room. Calgary City Manager David Duckworth said, quote, the conduct of a few was creating an environment where access to publicly available services was compromised due to public safety concerns. He said the bylaw is not intending to prohibit protests. Now, the first proposal creates a, quote, safe and inclusive bylaw to establish access zones, which would limit the time, manner, and location of protests within the vicinity of recreational facilities and libraries. Now, the second recommendation amends Calgary's existing public behavior bylaw, the street harassment bylaw, to include intimidation. Council voted 10-5 to pass this bylaw, which becomes effective immediately. And in an 11-4 vote, council also passed amendments to the city's harassment bylaw. Those found guilty of breaching the bylaw could be subject to a fine of up to $10,000 and up to one year in prison. Rachel, you wrote the news on this for True North. You covered this debate. What was it like? Was it uh, an emotional one? Because I know previous discussions about these issues have been. Was it something where most councillors, as we see the vote was 10-5, were just 
kind of quickly putting up their hand to approve it. How did it all go down? It wasn't as emotional as I expected it to be, considering that it is a very serious issue. And this is a pretty incredible bylaw. Um, there was a lot of questions as to how this would work. And a lot of counselors expressed anger that they didn't have very much time to read the report and have their questions answered. I think they were only given about a week. The city's administration was pushing to have this done really, really quickly. And so it was done in a very condensed timeline. And there was a lot of breaks throughout the day and they moved to other issues at some points and then they returned to debate and it wasn't very heated. And I, you know, heard a lot of advocates speak up as to why this bylaw was needed. Most of the criticisms I heard over the bylaw was just over simple things as to how it would actually work and whether it was needed and we hadn't had enough time to study it. So it wasn't near as emotional as you might have expected. And I didn't hear a lot of counselors speak up and say that, you know, this was wrong and, and this would cause, you know, charter challenges, although that was raised a couple times. So overall, I think, you know, this is sort of how Calgary City Council op operates. People think of Alberta as a very conservative place, but our major cities, Edmonton and Calgary, are very, very liberal cities. And I think we can see that through the passage of this bylaw. Rachel, I'm always concerned about government motions that appear to be solutions to problems that don't exist. What is the sense of the actual problem here? I, I think we're dealing with a bit of a blip in time with all of this going on with Drag Queen Story Hours. Like there's this uh, push by some people that you know every library needs a children's drag queen story hour, and that's just a, a small window. I think that's probably going to decline soon. And then now there are other people who feel like they have to protest every instance of that occurring. I know there are already laws in the books that say if someone's physically barring someone from entering a facility, obviously security or police can push them away. So I still think you can access these story hours. But if someone's obviously harassing, assaulting, and so forth, well, they can be arrested too. I, I'm unclear what the real problem is here, aside from the fact that we've got a, a bit of a a, a, a bit of a surge and concern around this in this little time window. The council made it extremely clear yesterday that this bylaw was created to target and I would even argue penalize a very specific group of protesters. The bylaw uses the word specified protesters and throughout the committee they consistently refer to people that were protesting any sort of LGBTQ plus events. Now let's be clear this isn't about homophobia. This is about people being uncomfortable with drag queen story hour. And as I mentioned in my story, there was another protest after a trans woman allegedly exposed his penis to some minors at a public pool in Calgary. So these are the types of protests that we're seeing and Calgary City Council wants to limit these protests and wants to penalize these protesters as much as possible. So yes, this is really taking a small look at a place in time right now. I don't know how relevant this will be going forward. I expect drag queen story hour will be around for a little while. I don't know if it's something that will continue throughout the rest of Canadian society. I think a lot of people have issues with it. So, you know, it is really targeting these protesters and there are already lots of bylaws to make sure that people have to condone themselves a certain way in public. As, a, as the story mentioned, there already is a public harassment bylaw. They've amended that now to include intimidation. That was one of the things that was passed at council yesterday, which is a really interesting amendment and intimidation is also kind of vague. So it really just looks like they're looking to give themselves and police more power to sort of target protesters under these loose and vague amendments and bylaws. And that will really leave a lot of things up to interpretation under the police. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. We've already seen one Calgary pastor who was arrested in charge after attending a drag queen story hour. I spoke with him yesterday. He said he was simply preaching and he's now being charged for hate crimes and he has six counts of harassment. So there's already very strong bylaws in place to protect people when they're attending these types of events. I don't think the burden of proof was there to say that this bylaw was actually needed. 
That's it for today. And don't forget to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. And if you're able, please consider supporting independent media at donate.tnc.news. Thanks for listening and have a great day.